God offers a rest that does more for you than a long vacation ever could. It's a rest that can happen even while you're working. The Bible is filled with clues about this kind of rest, what it is, and how to enjoy it. And I'm here to reveal them. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central, right here at kylewinkler.org slash live. Christian is someone who tunes in, sometimes live, sometimes on the podcast. She said, I wanted to tell you that your recent message, the one about dealing with the life you didn't plan, was 100% written to speak to me. I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, and it quite literally changed the entire trajectory of my life. I've had my fair share of trauma in this life, and I can confidently say that this is not where I thought I'd be at 25. I wanted to thank you for doing what you do and to personally tell you the impact that you've had on my life. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me, Christian. I'm humbled. Of course, you all know it's not just me doing this. It's all of you who go with me through your prayers and your financial support. So thank you. If you say, Kyle, I want to do this with you, then please, will you consider a donation? We are entirely donor supported. It's always tax deductible and always appreciated. And you may give at any time at kylewinkler.org slash donate. And on that page, you'll also find out about the gift that you get in return for your donation of any amount. Okay, I'm going to try something here that we'll see if you can see. Okay, if you can kind of look at my shirt jacket there as I'm fluttering my hands, all right. I know those of you who are listening can't see this, all right. But what I'm doing is kind of making a flapping bird with my hands locked together by my thumb so that it projects a shadow onto my jacket. You've done that before, right? You've made a bird shadow on the wall or something with your hands. Well, anyway, focus on the shadow. The shadow, obviously, is not my real hands, right? Even the shadow isn't precise. I mean, you can make out some of it, but it's kind of blurry. The real thing, my hands, obviously far more clear. What's my point with this? I'm illustrating how the Bible describes many of the features, the stories, the people, the festivals, and laws of the Old Testament. It calls them shadows. Let's look at Hebrews 10.1. The author says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The Apostle Paul says the same to the Colossians regarding the holy days and ceremonies prescribed in the Jewish law. In Colossians 2.17, he says, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. 
In other words, what these two New Testament passages say is that much of what we read in the Old Testament is not the essence or the point of our faith. They happened, yes. In some cases, they were commanded by God for a time. But in the entire scheme of history, God intended for them to reflect what is the essence and the point of our faith, which is Jesus. He ordained, God ordained, much of what happened in the Old Testament so that later generations, which include us, would look back and see Jesus in it. I'm telling you, when you truly see some of what's written in the Old Testament as shadows of Jesus, it'll change how you read the Bible. And it'll also change how you live your life. It has for me. Instead of seeing the Bible as a big book of instructions, I see it as a collection of stories and experiences in history that God wove together to ultimately tell the story of Jesus and why he came and what he did and how we get to live now because of it. It's all really incredible. And it's why with this message, I'm beginning a series through some of these shadows. I want to help you see Jesus through the Bible. We're going to begin in the beginning, the creation story. The creation story contains at least three shadows that together reflect the goal of creation and humanity and how it was achieved for you through Jesus. The first shadow is in the order of creation. You know that Genesis 1 describes how God made the creation in six days. On day one, he created light. Day two, sky. Day three, dry land and plants. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, water and sky animals. Day six, land animals followed by people. Where's the shadow in that? It's when humans were made, which was last. Why did God create people last? Well, it might have been because he didn't want any advice on how to do it. Just kidding. He created humans after all the work was done. Now, that might sound coincidental, but it's affirmed by yet another shadow in the creation story, which appears in the first few verses of the very next chapter. Genesis 2, verse 1 begins, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day. God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This seventh day, which is called the day of rest, the seventh day is a day unlike all of the other six before it. All of the other days of creation were buttoned up with evening passed and morning came. A statement to indicate that it was a regular 24-hour-ish day. The seventh day doesn't get that statement. It's left open. And it's left open for a reason. 
The seventh day of rest is meant to reflect a life of rest, eternal rest that God lives in. And helping us understand what is meant by a life of rest is the third shadow in the creation story. You see, Genesis 2 continues as a kind of close-up account of the creation of the first two people, Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he made. And then within ten verses or so, it describes the creation of the woman, Eve, also placed in the garden of Eden beside Adam. I've taught on this before. I make a lot of it in my upcoming book, Permission to be Imperfect. But Eden is the shadow here. Eden is a Hebrew word that means delight. The first couple was placed inside of God's delight. Whereas the story goes on to say, they were protected and provided for without any effort or earning. So let me recap these three shadows in the creation story, which all combine into one big one. Humans were made on day six after all the work was done. God rested on day seven, established it as holy, and made no statement to say that it ended. And it appears that it didn't, because the place that God placed humans was in Eden, the place of his delight, a place characterized with no effort nor earning where protection and provision are enjoyed simply as a gift from God. So, the creation story illustrates rest as the goal of creation and humanity. And rest is a word we're going to see over and over in Scripture from Jesus and the New Testament writers. But before Jesus, you'll see it as a different word, which means the same and is a word that you've surely heard. You've been in the church for even a little while. It's Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath comes with a lot of baggage, sadly, mostly because people have made the point of the faith about the shadow. They've kept Sabbath as a rule to uphold instead of realizing that it's a reflection of the Savior. Now, to be sure, for about 1,500 years, it was a rule chiseled on stone by God's finger. You see, years after Adam and Eve sinned and had to leave the physical Garden of Eden, God established a covenant with his people Israel based on 613 laws. These began with what's known as the Ten Commandments. The fourth of those Ten Commandments, which you can read in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 9, You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. 
a few things about this commandment, and then we'll talk about how we keep it today. Is it real? Yes. Did God really give it? Of course. Did he really want them to do no work? Yes. In fact, later in the law, it outlined that they couldn't kindle fire, gather manna, sell goods, nor bear a burden on the Sabbath day. Now, is it good to take time to physically rest? Absolutely. On a weekly basis. But is this a law that we are commanded to follow today to stay acceptable to God? No. Like the entire law itself, this commandment was meant by God to show people how impossible it is to please him through their own efforts. It was meant by God to show people their need for a savior, that they can't live up to this stuff. They can't do it perfectly. They need a savior. It was meant by God so that future generations, us, would look back and see it pointing to Jesus. He's the savior. The shadow points to the savior, which is Jesus. But man, some people today are as meticulous about keeping the rule as the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. And I hear from some of them. Recently, it seems whenever I announce that I'm speaking at a church on a Sunday, I get one or two people who message me who say, you're not keeping the Sabbath by speaking on a Sunday. Some people won't go to any stores on Sunday because they don't want to make anyone else work. But friends, it's impossible. If you, if you truly want to keep the Sabbath as it was outlined in the law, it's impossible to do, especially these days, because starting the engine of your gas-powered car kindles a kind of a fire, combustion. You using electricity or the internet or your phone or some service is causing someone to work. There can be so many technicalities that it all gets crazy, just like it was in Jesus' day. Religious leaders had interpretations of interpretations, so that not only was there Jewish law given through Moses, but there was also rabbinic law, which added many more rules to the original 613. That's why they got after Jesus when they saw his disciples breaking off heads of grain to eat on the Sabbath. They said, why are your disciples breaking the grain on the Sabbath? Well, you know, when your acceptance by God comes down to rule keeping, then you got to make sure you don't even come close to breaking the rules. So all kinds of crazy things and laws and rules happen from there. I mean, even if that means starving on the Sabbath or leaving somebody to hurt. And that's what the religious leaders wanted Jesus to do. When Jesus decided to heal someone on the Sabbath, well, that's a big part of what sentenced him to die. In Matthew 12, there's a story of Jesus noticing a man with a deformed hand. And it was near the synagogue, so religious leaders were there, and they tried to trick him with a question. They said, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Do you see what they did there? They equated 
healing with work. So therefore, healing was forbidden on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus gave a great answer. He said, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull them out? Of course. Well, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Then he demonstrated it. He asked the man to hold out his hand, and when the man did, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And the Bible says the Pharisees then called a meeting to plot how to kill him. He broke one of the rules, uh-oh, cause for death. Unfortunately, not much has changed in some 2,000 years, even by those who claim to follow Jesus. Now, we aren't sentencing people to die, thankfully, but we are condemning people in many ways for not living up to all kinds of standards, whether from the Ten Commandments, the remaining 603 laws of Moses, or our own interpretations of things. And this Sabbath law is still a big one today. I mean, have you been made to feel bad by someone for doing yard work on church day or going out to dinner or store on a Sunday? Has somebody pointed their finger of judgment at you? Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Let me free you from their judgments and maybe from your own. As Jesus told the Pharisees who accused his disciples of work on the Sabbath in Mark 227. Jesus said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And as Jesus told a Jewish crowd who were burdened by laws on top of the laws, interpretations of interpretations, Jewish law, rabbinic law, Roman law, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Hear what Jesus said for yourself, but this time in the present tense. He says, I give you rest. He came to provide rest. Real rest is in him. Sabbath is about him. Jesus came to return Sabbath to what it was about in the beginning, before sin, in the garden. What God intended the Sabbath law to point to. Rest, Sabbath, is the state of peace, delight in God, enjoying friendship with God. And that all only comes through Christ, which is why he could say, come to me and I will give you rest. And he did. He did all the work to make it true for you today. Rest that's deeper than the flesh and anything physical. A rest with no end. That's the real Sabbath rest. That's what the author of Hebrews said about it. Let's read his words in Hebrews 4.9. So there's a special rest. And the word there in the Greek is also translated as Sabbath. So there is a special rest, a Sabbath waiting for the people of God, still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. The author of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews, Jewish people, 
Some were Christians, some weren't. The Christians were facing tremendous persecution. They were being persecuted and therefore persuaded to abandon the truths that made them Christian. They were being tempted to go back into Jewish customs. Now, of course, the non-believing Jews were already living dependent on those customs, on the law, for their good standing with God. Well, Jews are the people of God that the author is writing to here, and he's saying there's an eternal forever Sabbath that you can enter into, just as it was when God created the world, a delight. And God's been trying to get your attention. He's been calling out to you. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus. Eternal rest, Sabbath, is here for you. It's waiting for you to enter into today. All you have to do is believe. That's what he says right there. That's as true for you today as it was for God's people back then. The clues, the shadows, have been in God's word from the beginning. Even the Sabbath law, it was meant to show you that you can't enter rest through your own effort or willpower. You can't strive to enter rest in that way. The way to real rest, the way to really keep the Sabbath, is to depend on Jesus. Well, what does that look like? The author of Hebrews said to do your best to enter his rest. How do you do that? Easy. You believe that Jesus did what you can't do, which therefore stops you from trying to do it. Now, not from yard work and household chores and a job that earns you money. That's not what it's talking about. You know, even in the creation story, Adam had tasks. So we aren't talking about idleness. We are talking about not striving to earn anything from God. When you believe in Jesus, you enter a rest from at least several things. First is a rest from working off your sins. Now, come on. This is keeping a lot of you busy, but getting nowhere except deeper in guilt and shame. You're trying to overcome last night's or yesterday's or last week's or last decade's sins by some kind of sacrifice or effort. For some of you, it's with 10 Hail Marys, four Our Fathers, and one Glory Be. For others, it's the amount you give of your time and your treasure. For others, it's through some sort of self-denial of something good. Hey, believer, it's time to believe. Stop striving and start living. Enter the rest. Jesus did everything necessary to forgive you and cleanse you of sin forever. One of my favorite scriptures about our forgiveness, our forever forgiveness, comes from Hebrews 1. And it says, when Jesus had cleansed us of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus took a seat. What's significant about him sitting down? Well, Jesus is described as our high priest. Priests were responsible for making the sacrifices in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. In the temple, there was no seat because there were always more sacrifices to make, more work to be done. But after he died for our sins on the cross, Jesus took a seat. And what's more, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians that we are seated 
with Christ in heavenly places. So when it comes to the forgiveness of your sin, there's no more work for Jesus to do. He's seated, and there's no more work for you to do, so you can take a seat. Stop trying. Stop doing. Enter God's rest today. Another thing that you can rest from is trying to earn God's blessings and favor. As if there's something more you could do to convince him to do something for you. I used to do this with fasting and prayer and Bible study. As good as those are, they're not a means of proving yourself to God or twisting his arm to give you that job or make people like you more or whatever. Paul said that belief in Jesus makes people right with God. So nothing you do is going to add to your righteousness. You are as right and clean after you stuff your face down at the local golden corral as you are after a five-day juice fast. Five hours locked in your prayer closet isn't going to move God's hand five inches. More page turns of your Bible will probably help turn your life around, but it's not going to change God's mind about you. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because we are united with Christ. And that brings, it brings up another thing that you can rest from. You can rest from trying to get closer to God or to get into his presence. The very tenet of our Christian faith is that God is both with us and in us. Scripture assures we are united with Christ. That means we're on his side, he's on our side, we are in him, he is in us. To the Colossians, Paul said we are complete in him. It all means the same thing. So my question is, how can a God who lives in us get any closer? No amount of singing Spirit Fall is going to get him any closer than he already is. No amount of cleansing the temple is going to do it because Jesus already did it. He cleansed you so that you could house his spirit. Then he moved on in and he promises not to go anywhere. Stop trying to get closer and find rest in the truth that he's with you, whether you feel him or you don't. Another kind of rest that I'll add here is rest from self-improvement or flesh-fixing. This was a big rest for me, because for the first decade of my born-again faith, I confused the faith for a spiritual self-help program. To me, the Bible was a book of instructions to help me overcome the flesh so that I could have and be all the things that I mentioned in the last few points. Forgiveness, favor, God's presence, on and on and on and on and on. But as soon as I thought I had one thing fixed, another thing popped up. And then that thing I thought had fixed popped back up too. <laughs> and then another and another and another. So I felt more hopeless and frustrated than free. Definitely exhausted. I was depending upon my flesh and my performance for righteousness. And really, that's not any different than what Jewish people did back before Jesus. Salvation comes from your trust that your righteousness and relationship with God is entirely dependent upon Jesus. It has nothing to do with whether your flesh gets fixed or gets better. Salvation is a gift given to you by God upon your faith in Jesus. So yes, while it might benefit you to fix some things to do with your flesh, to eat better, exercise more, all of that, your salvation isn't dependent upon it. It's dependent upon Jesus. 
And that truth did wonders for putting me at rest. And I'm sure that it's going to do the same for you if you'll really get it. Now, before you get restless, let me start to bring this to a close here. Sabbath isn't about a rule. It's about a reflection of the Savior. So keeping the Sabbath, what the temporary Jewish law was made to prove and point to, is about depending on Jesus for everything that means anything, for your forgiveness, your provision, your righteousness. So hear me. And I'm not advocating that you never take a break. We need to let our bodies and minds rest physically, I think, on a weekly basis. God designed us to rest. He designed us to need sleep. So take a break. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you can be doing Saturday or Sunday yard work and be keeping the Sabbath more than someone who stays in bed all day once a week. And that's because your faith in your righteousness is dependent upon Jesus, not upon what you do. Depending on delighting in him. That's rest. Just as it was in the beginning. Okay. What I described through this message is the gospel. Or as I like to call it tongue-in-cheek, the gospel. The true gospel is a cure of sorts for all kinds of life symptoms. Kind of like how sleep helps to heal physical issues. The spiritual rest that comes from the gospel cures emotional and spiritual issues. Things like fear, guilt, shame, offense, even loneliness. Recently, I taught a series that walks you through how that happens. I call the series The Gospel, The Simple Cure for Life's Common Symptoms. This audio series includes five messages. The Cure for Fear, Taking No Offense, Getting Beyond Guilt and Shame, The Loneliness Solution, and Being a Christian with Depression. If you need relief from some of the symptoms I just mentioned there, then the gospel is God's prescription. And this series is going to help you understand it in that way and apply it in that way. The gospel series is available to download on 5mp3s at kylewinkler.org slash gospel. G-O-S-P-I-L-L. kylewinkler.org slash gospel. And that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Each and every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast and wherever you get social media, don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.